the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth Leibson, and boy, on a week like this, there's a few people I want to talk to more than Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. By the way, just about two weeks for those of you interested in uh, attending Pepperdine School of Public Policy. We've got two weeks to get your applications in uh, for the July 15th deadline. Pete, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Seth, and you're so right, boy. What a momentous week in <laughs> oh my gosh. American yeah. history. I know. <laughs> I was thinking, is it in like a lamb and out like a lion, or in like a lion and out like a lamb? Um, I, let me let me start with something um that I was I was just kind of talking about with the audience in the uh, last hour, and maybe I'm all wet here, Pete, but I, I found it kind of interest. I thought that the decision today on the Colorado Freedom of Conscience case was huge and hugely important, and I thought it um, in reaffirming uh, the rights to conscience and the essence of the First Amendment and basically not coercing an individual to speech or think or act in ways that the government wants them to if they disagree with it. I thought that was monumental. And then we got this college loan um, decision out, and same number, 6363, and the Washington Post, CNN, New York Times, they all covered this far more broadly, much more broadly, and I'm trying to figure out why that is. And and so maybe here, maybe I'm all wet, but to me, I think maybe it's the progressive view or the view of the Democratic Party that what they can't coerce through the state, they have always viewed they shall coerce through education. And to them, higher education, as well as elementary and secondary, is the thing that is most important. I don't know. Maybe I'm all wet. It's a working thesis. It's only an hour old. It's <laughs> well, totally I, been around Can I offer an hour. alternative? Can I offer an alternative? <laughs> yes, that's why we keep you in our back pocket, Pete. Yes. Yes. Well, I... I believe, uh, and even some on the left, I was uh, looking at social media today, uh, Michael Ware, who I think is very thoughtful, oh, yeah. was in the Obama administration. Yeah. Uh, he made reference to the fact that uh, basically calling out the Biden administration for knowing that this was going to get shot down at the Supreme Court, the uh, effort around uh, school loan so-called forgiveness, um, but we're really thinking politically and strategically, uh, only wanting to use the court's time uh, to create a political issue that they could then use in 2024 to say to a youth demographic, oh. younger voters mm-hmm. who obviously skew mm-hmm. to the left, mm-hmm. to say that this is what happens mm-hmm. uh, when you... Uh, elect Republicans to the presidency, and they bring in certain, uh, and they have the opportunity to select uh, Supreme Court justices. We did all we could 
Biden can say to the young voters, and I'm sure there are going to be many voter drives on various college campuses. We did all we could to support student loan forgiveness, but we were just shot down. Now, that really is a rather... It's uh, a better thesis, by the way. Well, and I'm I, giving I just, it to you, Pete. That's a better thesis. <laughs> That's a better. As opposed to the other, where I think most Americans, and I haven't actually haven't seen public opinion polling on the 303 creative case, but Americans more broadly, as I as I view them, are very much free speech advocates, yeah. and the thought. Uh, obviously, we, we remember the, the so-called cake baking case, yeah, which sure. this in, in part follows. Sure. But the public opinion on that was really so supportive yeah. of the baker. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure in public opinion polling, uh, people, when given the facts of that case uh, around this 303 creative case and religious liberty, are, are definitely going to uh, side with uh, this web development agency and, and the person who added that up. So I, I think that it's, it's very unfortunate that uh, the court in this case uh, regarding this, the loan forgiveness was really just used as a proxy for creating a political issue, which they intend to use in 2020. Uh, I think that is a better thesis. I think that makes a lot more sense. And it's, uh, it, also, it also meets the Occam's razor test. It's just much more easy to explain as well. <laughs> he, you did it so much more clearly than, than I had to work around Talmudically to get to mine. <laughs> But speaking of public opinion in the Supreme Court, uh, there's a few things I want to talk with you about, if I might, because the vast majority of Americans are also in favor of what the Supreme Court did yesterday on the 14th Amendment from all the polling I have seen. Most Americans don't like, including Democrats, don't like race-based policies like the kind that were struck down yesterday. And anyway, if you wanted to say a word on that, too, um, that would be I'd welcome it because it's interesting to me. These both have been the occasions. All three of these cases really have been the occasion for the Democrats to repeat the lines that they were using when Dobbs came out about the um, the lack of legitimacy of the Supreme Court because they didn't get the decisions they wanted. I think Biden's line yesterday was it's not a normal court. Anyway, I wonder if you have thoughts on that. No, I completely agree. I mean, that that is where, I mean, I, I was seeing polling figures upwards of 70% of Americans supporting uh, a move away from affirmative action or race-based uh, admissions. That certainly is where this uh, is headed or is understood uh, by Americans. And I think it's also important to point out just on that case, and sometimes it gets lost, that those who were bringing the case, especially in the Harvard instance, uh, these were minority students. Yes, these sir. were Asian American yes. students. Yes, and so when you see the story of, of Calvin Yang, yep. who was the particular protagonist in, uh, on the one side of the group that was bringing the suit against Harvard, uh, this was a student who was turned down at a 1550 SAT, stellar background, actually said in an interview afterwards that he tried to not make himself look too Asian. Uh, can you imagine? In the can you imagine? application. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so, th- but this is, I mean, he understood, and this, I mean, he's only 21 now, right. so this was only a couple of years ago that right. he applied. He understood what the terms of the 
battle were, right? I yes. mean, th- th- this is where he understood the cultural moment within these Ivy League institutions, uh, what, what, what the situation was there. And so to, for someone like that, who, uh, again, if, if we're going to be about not just meritocracy, I think sometimes that gets overused. I think there can be an argument that conservatives make around legacy admissions, for example. Oh, I'm fine on um, that argument, too. I, yeah, I'm fine and, on I, that and I think... I think we could see some lawsuits even brought along those lines. But when you see students like this one who just happens to be Asian-American, who frankly lost out for uh, under these policies, uh, I think that needs to be kept as part of the the context for this as well. Well, it was a smart litigation strategy, too, in some respects, um, in that, you know, for years, opponents of race-based affirmative action programs like this have said that when you discriminate in favor of one race, you are perforce discriminating, discriminating against someone of a different race. And this was brought into sharp relief with the Asian students here, I think, which showed that the government here or these colleges and the government in North Carolina, Harvard in this case and the the public university in North Carolina, that they they were engaged in a rather rather grotesque business, which was picking which race we shall favor when you boil it down. That's what it came down to. No, that's right. When you look at the the data coming out of Harvard that they were doing all they could to maintain some sort of uh, level uh, percentages of representation from different ethnic and racial groups, no matter how many applications they were getting. Uh, Obviously, the Asian Americans were the ones that were were really uh, harmed by these policies. That's a hard thing to get past. I'm still on it. Something you said a few few points ago, that you had Asian American students— trying to downplay or diminish their ethnicity or their heritage. That is yeah. that is such a moving point, Pete. Yeah, I mean, Calvin said in the in an interview in the last couple of days that he actually did not list his ability uh, to play the piano well. Lest uh, they, oh that, my God. Yeah. Uh, oh my. I mean, that's what he said. Yeah. I mean, that, that, and that is where we're at. Rather than celebrating our diversity... And achievements, so, yes, yes, yes. You know, that yeah. we're, we're seeking to uh, diminish them because we know that uh, in this instance that they, the search for diversity is only in a uh, particular, uh, particular direction. And for an Asian American student to meet the standards of university diversity, they have to vitiate and attenuate their own. What a sad, sad thing. Let me uh, take a quick commercial break, uh, break, Pete Peterson. I want to uh, talk to you about a few other institutional issues as well. Pete is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter. Very active and uh, great uh, Great Twitter feed, at Pete4CA, at Pete, the number 4CA. Uh, Pete Peterson is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Pete, you haven't met um, my producer, Young David, as we refer to him, and he's an excellent producer, uh, though sometimes refractory. And, <laughs> and, and, um, and, and so I've been trying to acculturate him with important movies and that sort of thing. 
every holiday has its movie. We're going into the 4th of July holiday, and I have been trying to get him to watch the movie Jaws. I, I think Jaws is a 4th of July movie, even more so than Die Hard is a Christmas movie. That's my memory of it, anyway. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. Yeah. Very fair point. Yeah, no, yeah. it takes place over the 4th of July holiday. Yeah. Tell him to see it, Pete. You instruct young people for a living. Please just let tell tell. Oh young no, David. this is an American classic. That's it. Definitely needs to be seen. Thank and uh, and just the the background story of how the movie got yes. made. That this was yes. Spielberg's like second or third yes. movie, yes. and there was a moment there where the movie didn't look like it was going to yeah. get finished. I mean, That's it's right. just really incredible. The camera angle from the view of the shark because they couldn't That's get right. the shark to work. <laughs> All right. turned into brilliance. Yeah, it did. Pete, um, and Robert Shaw, my God, and Richard Dreyfuss. Just anyway, yeah. sorry for the diversion, Pete. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's. It's an institution. I want to talk to you about institutions. The movie Jaws yes. is an institution. I want to talk to you about perhaps more important institution. The the Democratic war, Democratic Party's war against the Supreme Court is so interesting to me. We spoke a little bit about it in the previous segment, but it has a um, perhaps longer thread. Even before the Dobbs decision of a year ago, I I just wanted to set the frame. People have to remember that the leader of the Democratic Party in the Senate stood in front of the Supreme Court and shouted two justices by name, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, and he said, we're coming for you. You will inherit the whirlwind. There were marches in front of – illegal marches in front of the Supreme Court's home that Jen Psaki said from the White House podium – I, I assume I think they're illegal. Let's just hope they stay peaceful. There is an assassination attempt on Brett Kavanaugh that never made it out of the lips of the president or the vice president. And then we get ever since these 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 statements that it's an illegitimate institution. Uh, of course, because oh, they and merely don't, don't forget the release yeah. the release of the Dobbs. Decision, oh my gosh! Which, yes, that too. Yes, that too. Which, which I I think most would agree came from someone who uh, obviously did not want that finalized. Right. Exactly. It was to put pressure to change it, or to, right. right. Of course, it was to put coercion on the Supreme Court. None of this, and, and so you know, it it comes in a couple of interesting ways. One, it says something about. Uh, the ability to live with decisions we don't like in 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 a, in a Republican form of government, but more importantly, this was the party that campaigned on restoring norms and respect for the institutions, institutions of democracy, and they have been on a tear against it. And I I, I think it's worthy of pointing out. That's all. Well, it certainly is true when it comes to, I mean, you can look at a whole array of things, whether we're looking at the Electoral College, yep. whether yes. we're looking at yes. uh, the filibuster, whether yes. we're looking at uh, the Supreme Court, and uh, following the attacks of many on the left in these last couple days, um, obviously Dobbs precipitated some of this, but what we're seeing in the last couple days, I mean, I... Probably shouldn't do this, but I looked at one MSNBC analyst who is out there today calling for uh, essentially packing the court, yeah. increasing the size of the court. Yeah, and um, you know that you're absolutely right to say that this this uh, Biden presidency uh, they campaigned on a kind of a return to normalcy theme that mm-hmm. this was going to be uh, upholding 
regular order, so to speak. And respect for the institutions of democracy, the, the physical body of the Congress, much less everything else, right? Absolutely right. And, of course, what we're seeing, um, you know, this uh, out of the mouth of uh, President Biden himself, this court is, quote, not normal. Right. Right. Um, So what is it? Right. (laughs) Right? Abnormal. It's abnormal. Yeah, right. I mean, no, it's the court is the court. Yeah. Right. And it went through a process to constitute itself that was constitutional. So, um, you know, it it, it is this uh, series of attacks that again, are, are only brought about uh, not out of constitutional disagreement, right. but with political disagreement. That's right. Yeah. That it's the results of what they're seeing yeah. that is uh, creating this animus towards these, towards these in institutions. And this inability, I think you're very right to point out that, you know, the protests on the homes of the yeah. justices, um, you know, the fact that we don't know really uh who the leaker was mm-hmm. i mean uh of the dobbs decision um you know these are uh, that that there isn't um you know a uh the the head of the senate uh, uh chuck schumer out there on the husting mm-hmm. saying we need to know who this is mm-hmm. uh and you're right not calling to account the protesters mm-hmm. uh that were out in front of the, the justices' homes. I mean, this is really outrageous because, in the end, it's not just the attacks, but who is standing silent? Um, well, that's exactly uh, right. Calling and these who, people out right. as well. That's that's exactly right. Who's inciting that violence? But but this this use of the word illegitimate. The court is illegitimate. Um, which which it's an interesting word to me. It goes into that area that I I describe as opinion or principle hierarchy that there should only be one outcome here, always left, always what the Democrats want, that the Republicans are not legitimate. The conservative point of view does not share uh, an equal stage on a playing field in our, poli- in, our, in our partisan politics. There's one preferred way and one preferred outcome, and if you think conservative or have conservative principles, you're illegitimate. They started this with Donald Trump about his election, but the idea that now the court is illegitimate to me, it seems, is further proof that they just don't – I mean, I don't think we think that way about them. We disagree with them. We think they're wrong. Every difference of opinion is not a difference of principle, Jefferson said. But they think we stand for a different set of principles, not opinions, I think. Well, and again, I think that it's a simple question anyone could ask themselves. If these decisions were different, would there be this animus from the left against the, the Supreme Court? Uh, right, and, right, 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 right. I mean, would if Dobbs went a different way, if affirmative action went a different way, if the Religious Liberty 303 creative case went a different way, would the Democrats be raising these issues around uh, expanding the court? Right. And of course they wouldn't be, no. No. because the arguments are not constitutional. I think that is a significant difference, yes. at least right now, in the debates between left and right. And we wouldn't either, if, by the way. Our side wouldn't do it either. The worst that would come from us is a symposium in Commentary Magazine. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah. I think that's no. the worst that would come. <laughs> I, at least I would hope but that certainly is a difference yeah. between making constitutional arguments in the need for change. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been I've said that uh, I think we could look at um, term limits for Supreme Court sure. justices. Sure. You know, I'm not against reforms sure. that would involve these institutions. Sure. 
but those are precipitated by what's going on in the court, yes. not not the results of their decisions. Exactly right. Exactly right. Pete, let me take a break. I want to talk to you about an interesting survey we just saw in marriage when we come right back. Pete Peterson is my guest. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Welcome back to The Seth Leapson Show. Delighted to have Pete Peterson with us. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Um, but yes, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu is the website. Uh, Pete, I wanted to talk to you about marriage, but just before that, if you don't mind, you know, I was I was listening to our friend Hugh Hewitt's uh, show this morning. He and he and Larry Arn are laboriously going through Winston Churchill's book on the First World War, and I think in the course of an hour they get through about three pages. <laughs> and I'm wondering, which is about right. I, I mean, the book deserves it. And, but right, of course. We never got past the we never got past the second page of Nick, of uh, the Nicomachean Ethics when Harry Jaffa taught it. But uh, 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 Pete, um, I wonder if you and I might. We did this with Tocqueville once, and I wonder if it might be worth you and I doing a doing an hour or two someday on a book for the audience, and maybe a novel. Maybe that would be fun. You know, sure. I was struck. Yeah. I was struck by the NAEP scores. Reading is down, not just right. reading scores, but reading for pleasure. Reading for pleasure has precipitously declined, and it would be fun to encourage kids again to read on their own for pleasure, and obviously for enrichment and ennoblement. And uh, agreed, it might be fun. I I don't know. Is the Great Gatsby a book you might like to do? I I love that book, but we can think about yeah. it. Yeah, I'm springing. No, that's, I haven't picked that up in a while. Or you know. We could pick up an Orwell if we wanted to be. You know, let's do that. As well as, oh yeah. yeah! All right, let's do that. Let Let's do yeah. 1984, Pete. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah. Oh this no, I'll, this could go. I'll pick this, that back this, up. This, yeah, this could really go to scale. That's an interesting <laughs> thought. This is this, that's a much. You have been improving my ideas at every segment here, Pete. <laughs> Very well done. We've talked before about. The crisis of I think it's a crisis of the declining rate of marriage. A yeah. new one just came out. A new uh, report just came out from Pew. Uh, a record high share of forty-year-olds in the U.S. have never been married. In nineteen eighty-six percent of forty-year-olds had not been married. Today we're approaching thirty percent. This says a lot. Yeah, you know it, it's one of the. You know, the kids use this word adulting. It's uh-huh. one of those adulting behaviors yeah. that uh, we have seen delayed uh, across the board, whether it's getting driver's licenses or uh, moving out of the house or buying your own house or getting married. And there are real significant implications to each of those decisions. In many ways, they kind of build upon one another. Mm-hmm. Um and specifically around marriage, I mean, there are other parts to that decision, whether it's uh, job-related. I mean, some of the other research that folks like Brad Wilcox and others yeah, do, yeah. Uh, you know, really show that married men are usually the most economically successful and tend to be the happiest. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one could then uh, begin, you know, raise questions about correlation and causation, Uh Um, but suffice it to say that um, marriage and beginning a family 
uh, is certainly tied to a, a number of very positive social behaviors and civic behaviors, uh, being involved in one's uh, community to voting um, and uh, engaging in local politics and the issues. All of these are tied from that initial decision to uh, to get married. And so this delay, which is so significant uh, in the percentage, and in particular, uh, African-American men um, showed as a as one particular demographic was uh, delayed significantly. Um, these are all a very disturbing trend line. You know that correlation causation thing is 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 an interesting point to raise here because to me it's 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 perhaps I, I look at it this way, Pete. You look at the, the the social indices of decline over the last 30 or so years, whether it has to do with crime, whether it has to do with educational outcomes and achievement levels, any number of these 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 forces of decomposition, as we may call them. Mm-hmm. And you look at the two things that have risen at the same time. One of them is um, one of them is lack of marriage. One of them is the decline of marriage. That's risen, if you'll permit me to say it that way. The other is, of course, um, drug use at the same time. Now, you look at both those things, huge indicators of the prison population as well. And and it just seems to me, I mean, 80 percent of our prison population, I believe, is is of of the male population is is men who grew up without fathers. Yeah. And it seems to me the correlation causation thing is statistically probably difficult, but probably sociologically not so hard to prove. Let me take a quick break and have you respond to that on the other side, if that's okay. Is that all right? Pete Peterson is my guest. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. You want a career in public policy? That's the place to go. We talk about institutions of higher ed that are part of the problem. Pepperdine School of Public Policy is the solution. Uh, Pete, it's interesting when you think about, um, you know, the issue of marriage, the issue of fatherhood. As we were talking about, it's hard to prove at a statistical level, um, uh, causation, but at a sociological level, you just look at uh, where these where these decomposing areas of our society are, where our where our declining cultural indicators are, and it comes from that population almost as much as it comes from the drug using population, um, from never married or children without fathers or children who were raised in households with tremendous family dysfunction. It, it, it's hard to deny in some respects what's, what's looking us right in the face at, at a certain level. Agree? I do. And that connection between uh, the delay in marriage yeah. um, and, and a lot of this marriage data also needs to be seen through the lens of class, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. once again... Yeah. Yeah. To bring up a very important book uh, by Charles Murray, Coming Apart, this was really one of his major arguments that the uh, challenges that we're seeing in society uh, around um, issues of uh, marriage, family formation, 
the, the, the pro-social behaviors, if you will, of uh, getting and finding a job in your 20s, moving out of the house and those kinds of things are generally tied to marriage. Mm-hmm. And the rates that we've seen, they're actually in the upper middle and upper classes. The marriage rates really haven't changed that much. Mm-hmm. But when you look at those of what uh, Murray would call uh, in the, the second quintile, if we were to divide up mm-hmm. all household income into five equal sections, mm-hmm. that second quintile, we've seen a dramatic drop in the last 50 years. And with that, there's been a dramatic increase in the share of children born out of wedlock, uh, particularly in that uh, that second quintile area. In fact, it's it's usually four to five times more children as a percentage are born outside of uh, wedlock in the lower classes than in the upper classes. And obviously, we track, as you've raised with uh, you know, those who are in our criminal justice system, uh, you know, those family, those early stages of uh, childbirth and family formation, the importance of, of two parents and a father being in the household, uh, those all are connected to later uh, challenges that we see in our society. You know, there's this other series of studies that may be a complement to this in a sense, uh, Pete, I wonder about which is, you've seen them, no doubt, these studies that young people are less interested in romantic relationships and not just hooking up, less interested in dating altogether. Have you seen some of this? More men than women, actually. It's, it's an odd thing. People seem to be not interested in, in, in pursuit of a relationship or even maybe uh, their version of love. I, I'm not sure if you've followed some of these studies. They're really quite shocking and interesting at the same time. And if you look at young adults now, high school and college students, they don't go out on dates the way they used to. They would much rather go out in groups of people with their own with their own sex, gender. I don't know if you've yeah, noticed I think that trend. That's, yeah, we're, that, we're that, that will delay marriage, too, of course. <laughs> right. Well, and I wonder if that's actually opening the door to, to two other parts of the conversation here. One just to reflect back, I think this is part of the adulting behavior. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a sign of maturity yeah. <laughs> to to uh, to to make a lifelong commitment to someone else. You know, these are not these are not decisions to be to be taken lightly. And so, I think there there certainly is an understanding that making that lifelong commitment to one other person uh, is one that uh, as is being met by an increasing level of fear. But the other is. Uh, just to bring in something else we've talked about is just the ability to be in conversation yeah. with others. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wanted to, we talked before about the MIT uh, scientist, social scientist, Sherry Turkle, who yes. wrote a great yes. book yes. called Reclaiming Conversation. Mm-hmm. And throughout it, and she's written a couple books on the topic, she essentially in focus groups with her own students who are Uh, 20-somethings and others, she's certainly done focus groups with teenagers, the inability to have in-depth conversations, in-person conversations with someone else, uh, and the importance of that setting a foundation for romantic relationships, uh, you know, the the connection to social media and texting, uh, what that's done to dating behavior, uh, a lot of these things, I think, are, are interconnected. They are, which gets us to another interesting angle and study of something that I know consumes a lot of your thought and uh, some of mine as well, which is the 
the ongoing problem of loneliness. There's a new study I was seeing that you had uh, you had uh, you had uh, posted about over on your um, on your Twitter feed. Loneliness. This it's a hell of a headline, Pete. It's yeah. loneliness is worse for your heart than having a poor diet and not exercising, according to the yeah. latest research. And everything we're desca- describing, of course, leads to more loneliness, of course, as well. Well, and our current Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, yeah. has, has yeah. talked quite a bit about yeah. this. He made this statement uh, several years ago that that loneliness had the same uh, physical impact as smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Right. And, you know, these are... Um, we've talked before about the natural connection between loneliness and a bunch of uh, a number of behaviors, whether it's drug addiction, whether it's lack of exercise, whether it's uh, smoking, um, that there really are the weight gain that comes along. Uh, we certainly saw that during COVID right? when people were not able to go outside or there were, there really wasn't, you know, gyms were closed and so forth. And, and so this, Thinking about that just through the lens of loneliness now that we're we're beyond COVID, I think is is so important to understand uh, the real uh, physical mental health challenges uh, that are brought about uh, by loneliness and and disconnection from others. Yeah, and there's going to be you know uh, the other angle that you focused on that's so important that you mentioned that we need to focus more on too, and the research is just becoming ever so so much clearer by the day. Is is the social media addiction the, mm-hmm. the that 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 is starting at, with way too young children, way yeah. too young getting getting attuned to that? I, I remember the days when parents were worried about too much time with their their children spending too much time in front of TV. And the big complaint was it would have negative effects on their um, attention, their 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 attention spans. Yeah, you know we're 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 so far beyond that. Attention spans is the least of the problem with the with the with the with the handhelds these days. Well, and certainly what we're seeing, especially with young girls on yeah. Instagram yeah. and others, yeah. you know the 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 damage that's being done uh, when people are actively seeking out and can totally control the media that they're bringing in. Uh, That's that's had a lot of deleterious consequences. Well, let me wish you a non-deleterious happy holiday. (laughs) 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 I'm going to I'm going to reread some Orwell. In uh, this week and uh, weekend, and um, maybe start prepping a little bit for a discussion sometime in the future with our audience with you on it. I, think I will like that. too. Yeah, that would be will fun. too. God yeah. bless you, sir. Pete Peterson, delight as always. Thank you for spending some of your Friday afternoon with us. Publicpolicy.pepperdime.edu. I'm Seth, and we'll be right back. With all the other problems, you think about the economy, you have inflation, people are talking about a recession, you know there's stock market volatility, bank failures, and Biden's just going around saying Bidenomics is great. It's great. But what if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed that jumps over what Biden is trying to give you a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no su- surprises, a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. 
There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio brought to you by the great team at Y-Refi. Y-Refi is headquartered here locally. They, like I, encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. And I can tell you, no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. You won't get a sales pitch. They just like talking about what it is that they do. They leave the selling up to me. When you meet them, though, you'll see why I trust the folks at Y-Refi so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. Um, let's see what I wanted to say about that conversation with Pete. He's so attuned to these social indicators. Some years ago, 1992, uh, William Bennett wrote the... Um, leading index of cultural indicators, finding so many of them in decline. Um, And I was revisiting it with him to think about maybe bringing out a new version, a new edition, because everything, almost everything has gotten worse. It's not true that it's that it flatlined and went down. We we had some peaks and valleys, but the lows from the 90s when he was first and we were all first worried about that. By the way, Rush Limbaugh Read, read the intro to it on air, and <laughs> the publishing house sold out within about half a day. Anyway, um, it, 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 it's, it, it's, it's that our lows now are, are worse than the lows then. We have reached ever and ever uh, greater depths in, in our forces of composition, which have turned into forces of decomposition. <clears throat> and, and the thing I guess I want to remind everyone about is a line – thinking about movies a lot today, a line from Rhett Butler. Are you still allowed to quote Rhett Butler, young David, (laughs) from Gone with the Wind? I don't know. Well, maybe not over air. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. We'll see how much trouble I get in. (laughs) What most people forget is it's just as easy to make money building up society as it is to make money tearing one down. All right. Uh, what do we got? Oh, yeah, you're going to like this. A real disquisition on patriotism in about a minute. You folks are going to like this. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. Salem 